0: I know that people say oh it's trendy and it's mainstream and it's the, the zeitgeist the hot kind of thing right now but the, the wider it can go the better.
1: Welcome to SuperFad, a podcast from Stuff. I'm Laura Walters and I'm Katie Kinney. In this podcast series, we delve into
2: the weird and wonderful world of trends. We look at things like waste trainers, cryptocurrency, DNA
1: mapping. But today, we're examining a so-called trend that's actually 2,500 years old. Mindfulness, which has its roots in Buddhism, captured the attention of the Western world in the late 1970s, when it was first used therapeutically. In recent years, thousands of study
2: have touted its benefits, and as a result, people have been flocking to retreats... Yes, mostly in Bali. ...signing up for meditation classes or downloading mindfulness apps and podcasts.
1: Yeah, mindfulness is now so mainstream, we even use it in the military, and they teach it in schools. But first of all, Katie is going to define mindfulness for us by reading from her favourite new little book of mindfulness. This is
2: a definition of mindfulness according to Anna Black in her little pocketbook of mindfulness, which I bought recently, on the company credit card. Mindfulness is deliberately paying attention to things we normally would not even notice and becoming aware of our present moment experience as it arises, non-judgmentally and with kindness and compassion.
1: And we will be hearing a little bit more from the little book of mindfulness later on when Katie and I both do separate guided meditations from the book. So that
2: was a new way of trying meditation. We initially both
1: tried a
2: more popular method, which is
1: the Headspace app. Yeah, and we were both pretty sceptical going into this, but um, both kind of became converts. We will hear a little bit more.
2: I don't know if I'm a convert.
1: (laughs) You will reluctantly agree that there are some uses in everyday life. Fair to say? That's fair to say. But first of all, in this episode, we will be asking whether mindfulness is actually all it's cracked up to be. For this, we will be talking to a skeptical academic, Ute Kreplin, as well as student mindfulness trainer, Grant Ricks, and of course, a Buddhist monk.
2: But first, we will go back to mum, blogger, and mindfulness advocate, Lotta Dan, who we heard from at the beginning of the episode.
0: My name is Lotta Dan, and I am a suburban housewife and mother of three. Um, I I have a, a another persona, which is Mrs. D, which is my online persona. And um, as Mrs. D, I blog and write and use social media to talk about my sobriety.
2: I'm a recovering alcoholic. I haven't had a drink for six
0: and a half years.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about what got you into mindfulness in general and how that helps you
0: uh so the book came out in 2014 i quit drinking in 2011 (laughs) and you know so here i was happily not drinking being very clever using my brain thinking thinking blogging blogging writing writing you know running a website clever me but i found that after about three years of this i um i got very stuck i I was, you know, being sober became ordinary. I wasn't needing to put a lot of thought into it. It was just my new normal, which is great. But, you know, stuff was happening in my life that was tricky. You know, life stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just found I wasn't really handling it well. I was over-ruminating over things. I was angsting over things. I I just wasn't that comfortable and happy and I thought why why am I not comfortable and happy you know I've beaten my addiction to alcohol I should be just having a great time and I wasn't and so to be honest it was just everyone banging on about mindfulness all over Twitter and (laughs) Facebook and in the papers and and I had dismissed it. it people were just going on and on about it and here I was stuck and so I just went okay what is it i'm going to i'm going to explore it it's going to be my new project and i'm going to dive into mindfulness and what it is and yeah that's what i did
1: and it it just changed my life we will check in with lotta again later in the episode to hear a little bit more about her experience but first of all we thought it was worthwhile going right back to the practice's roots and to do this we decided to visit a buddhist monastery just north of wellington where we spoke to monk ajahn kusalo uh, you wouldn't expect to find a monastery in Stokes Valley. If you've never been there before, it's a somewhat tired community tucked in the back corner of Hut Valley with a less than savoury reputation. But when we drove up Rako Grove, the state houses gave way to a serene tree-lined driveway. It seemed like we were in another world. This is the home to about half a dozen monks. They spend their days meditating, praying chanting, and fasting. For them, mindfulness isn't a sometimes practice, it's their way of life.
3: Basically, everybody's mindful. If you weren't mindful, you'd probably be dead by now. (laughs) So in meditation, that stopping is a putting down. Turn off the radio, turn off the phone, turn off the television. Turn off the body. You sit down and just sit still, you know, to do something. Do, do, you know. You've got to, waiting for the traffic lights, you know, you'll send off a few texts or make a call or you'll read through some reports or, you know, you've got to do something.
1: The New Zealand Defence Force now uses mindfulness as part of its induction for everyone who joins the military and before any deployment where a soldier could be facing potentially stressful situations. Obviously, this isn't the way that mindfulness was originally intended to be used. In fact, it couldn't be further from its Buddhist roots. So, I was very keen to find out what Ajahn thought of this. One of the
3: one of the aspects of the mindfulness movement is uh, the military uses it. You know, how to more mindfully kill your enemy without suffer, suffering guilt and <laughs> recriminations. Well, that's good. You know, happier, healthier soldiers. <laughs>
1: can't imagine that war is something that you would be <laughs> supporting so then it seems like such a juxtaposition there with the, well, military the,
3: the so. use of the use of the mindfulness kind of thing and it, you know it sure it, it, surely it's going to be a better thing to have happy health soldiers but you know that they can be more focused and concentrated when they pull the trigger or you know these drone operators and things like that that they're, they're, their perspective is much more open and and attentive, following the movement, you know, and all of that. So the implications, as with as with so many, you know, quote unquote, technologies, you know, like nuclear, you can build a bomb or you can cure cancer, and that's just the. It seems to be the way of the world. So, you know, are there concerns? Well, yes, the way it's the way it's going to be. Well, the way I imagine it being developed.
1: Most people who have started practising mindfulness aren't about to become Buddhist monks in Stokes Valley. They're just using it to help them with difficulties in their everyday lives.
2: This kind of application all came about after mindfulness began to be used as a way of helping people learn to live with chronic medical conditions in the late 1970s. Many of these subjects were experiencing
1: depression and anxiety. And there have been some pretty remarkable research findings, especially recently, But, as the old saying goes, if something sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. And Katie, I think that you spoke to an academic who is pretty sceptical about some of these findings.
2: Dr Ute Kreplin is a Massey University psychology researcher, and she is very sceptical of these overhyped findings. She's co-author of an international study just published in Nature Scientific Reports. So her study says that while many may experience personal benefits from practising various forms of mindfulness meditation, it won't change social behaviours such as aggression or prejudice. Basically, it doesn't live up to its hype.
4: And at the beginning it looked quite promising for um, empathy and compassion, but actually digging a little bit deeper into the research, we realised that a lot of that was... um, underpinned I guess by really poor methodology so the way that the studies were conducted wasn't really great um, and and a lot of that influenced the findings that we found and once they were taken into consideration um, we didn't actually find that meditation increased any of these variables so it didn't make people more compassionate than than doing any sort of other activity and
2: and did that surprise you personally
4: I guess I had quite an open mind whether Um, you know, meditation would or would not impact on any of these variables. And I guess that's why we were under research to see um, what the overall sort of picture is. Um, I was a little bit surprised of quite how many um, flaws that were in the methodologies, though I didn't. I mean, it's hard to make the perfect research, but I was quite surprised by the extent to how much we found flaws in in the research that could have probably fairly easily been avoided. I guess my my early experience with, with mindfulness was in a different setting um so before um i did this research and for him um, completed my phd i was actually working in a clinical setting um and i have used it there um sometimes to a greater sometimes to a lesser degree um mm-hmm. you know and and i have had clients who who find mindfulness really beneficial and it helped people deal with anxiety um, but it doesn't necessarily or didn't necessarily work for everyone. Some people just find it frustrating. Um, and I think that's another point that's often not talked about, that, you know, it's not something that works for everyone. And for some people, you know, it might even backfire and have mm. negative effects rather than the positive ones. that so that would promote it. You know, if you do try mindfulness and then it doesn't work for you, it makes you feel worse. Um, so maybe more anxious or, you know, you're more depressed. or So then um, you might think that's you mm. rather than, you know, you're not... Um, that mindfulness isn't quite right for you and that can be really isolating there are some some reports that it can actually lead to to severe um, negative effects like like a psychotic episode usually if you engage in quite an extreme form of meditation it's important to be aware of that and try Mm -hmm. to mitigate those sort of negative impacts Mm -hmm. Um, and if we don't talk about them then we can't
1: If every eight-year-old in the world is taught meditation, the world will be without violence within one generation. This quote, which has been attributed to the current Dalai Lama, has circulated in online forums, on Twitter, and on Facebook, and it succinctly conveys the beliefs and expectations held by many about the powers of meditation. And while it's probably fair to say that this is a bit of an overstatement there is evidence that self-control is a really good trait for children to develop.
2: Some of the strongest evidence for that comes from the famous Dunedin study conducted here in New Zealand. That study tracked the development of more than a 1,000 people born in the early 1970s. And it found that self-control, or the ability to put the brakes on emotions, is more important than socioeconomic status or IQ when it comes to predicting health, wealth and general success.
1: Unsurprisingly, those findings attracted a lot of attention from policymakers, the media and the public, which has led to the growing movement for mindfulness being taught in early childhood education.
2: At the center of this movement is New Zealand's mindfulness education group, The Brainchild of Grant and Natasha Ricks. While working for the Mental Health Foundation, Grant created what's now our only locally developed evidence-based mindfulness in schools program called Pause, Breathe, Smile.
5: Pause, Breathe, Smile is an eight-session program that's delivered in schools by the classroom teacher. So we train uh, the classroom teacher to deliver the program in school. Our two later studies we did where we did some really robust science. We did uh, one study which was um, very robust in nature and what the international community was calling for, which was the randomized control study. And we were really looking to measure... Uh, boosts and well-being so uh, just to kind of unpack that a little bit uh, emotional well-being which is experiences of happiness and joy and those kind of po- positive emotions but also being able to better regulate emotions and then also psychological well-being which is a sense of purpose and meaning um, you know having a sense of autonomy and and these kind of more psychological attributes so when we when i say we're measuring well-being those are the dimensions we were looking at, and in that study, we found significantly, uh, statistically significant increases in well-being, uh, which were sustained three months after the program had finished as well. Right. Uh, and then we've seen reductions in teacher stress as a result of um, implementing pause, Breathe, Smile as well. One thing that's really important that we do within the space of um, you know, the kind of emerging mindfulness community is um, that we stick with what the science says as well. We stick with the evidence rather than making all these claims based on our own personal experience. We've got to say, well, actually, what does the research say?
1: Now we've heard the evidence both for and against the practice of mindfulness, but as promised earlier, we will now go back to Katie's favorite new book, The Little Pocket Book of Mindfulness. We've both been practicing mindfulness over the past few weeks using an app, but we found this book was a good way to bring it into the studio.
2: So Laura's just sitting on a chair in the studio in front of the microphone and it's a fairly rigid chair, so that's good. It means that you're not going to slouch into it. Um, So we're going to do a very simple exercise where we just focus on the breath. So that's a very good place to start if you're new to meditation Um, and the instruction is pretty simple. Just pay attention to breathing in and breathing out. Okay, I think I've mastered that. Okay. All right, so... Um, I'll just get you to close your eyes and take your attention to the breath and focus on the part of your body where you feel it most strongly. So maybe your belly or your chest or around your face and stay with your experience of the breath, breathing in and breathing out and feeling the sensation of breathing, allowing the breath to just Come naturally, letting go of any need to direct or manipulate the breath in any way. So just breathing in and breathing out. Can you feel that your breath is supported and held by your body? That you can feel a hard surface underneath you, underneath your feet. Breathing in and breathing out. And so you can just imagine the breath breathing in through body and through the crown of the head, filling your body with breath and breathing out right to the soles of your feet, breathing out, and then trying to focus on breathing in through the soles of the feet and allowing the body to fill with breath, energy, and then breathing out through the crown of the head. So you can continue in this way, sweeping your body with breath, breathing in.
1: Okay, cut. (laughs) 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 Enough breathing. Stop. That's quite nice.
2: Do you feel more relaxed?
1: Yeah. Hmm. It's just nice having your eyes closed for a while as well, (laughs) (laughs) breathing deeply. I was quite self conscious about my breath, my breath (laughs) into the microphone. But then I realized that's probably good that it's deep enough and loud enough to Mm. be in there.
2: Is that similar to the sort of thing that you've been doing? As part of the method podcasting for this episode,
1: yeah, using the app. Um, yes, when I'm by myself, it's easier to relax. Like that took me longer to relax, as you may have noticed by my giggling mm-hmm. at the start. Um, but yeah, when I'm by myself, it's it's much easier. But other than that, it's, yeah, it was quite similar. Now it's Katie's turn to try one of these mindfulness practices from the little pocketbook of mindfulness (laughs) so this one is about the hand and it says in this practice we are paying attention to the hand the part of the body that caresses touches grabs and so on katie also tried a guided meditation which involved her wriggling about her fingers and just focusing on one of her hands we won't make you listen to the whole thing but we are going to jump ahead to see how she felt how's your hand feeling (laughs) um fine fine I actually got like
2: an episode of tinnitus during that, so like my my ear started, you know, just ringing. Mm.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, that was quite good. That was quite good. Do you feel like we need to do that? On the other hand, now I noticed you did it with one hand. Do we need to do the other?
2: Oh yeah, well it was telling me to just focus on one hand. Mm. I sort of forgot. about I think it, the yeah, other it hand. might be
1: a bit too much. I think that's good, right?
2: Yeah, I was re- really, mm. really, really focused on that one hand. Yeah. yeah my right hand which actually isn't my dominant hand so
1: that's weird maybe you can do your left hand in your own time
2: (laughs) (laughs) so laura i didn't get a lot of feedback during the exercise but now maybe you can tell me how did you find that guided meditation
1: yeah so um I am kind of a sceptical person anyway, and I do find it hard to relax, especially in front of people. So maybe this environment in the studio wasn't... um... You can
2: relax in front of me.
1: (laughs) Yes, it it does take a little while though, doesn't it, when someone else is in the room watching you and you're being recorded. Um, But once, once I relaxed into it, I did actually find it quite nice. And that's been the overall theme of my mindfulness journey, if you will. Um, both now and in the past where I've done kind of yoga and other kind of mini meditations like this where it takes me a while to get into it even a few tries but eventually I do find myself just being able to focus on that one thing rather than thinking about what I've got to do next the emails I have to send or what I'm going to make for dinner so yeah skeptical to start with but I definitely bought into it by the end. Did you use the
2: Headspace app? Was that the main method that you were trialing during this podcast?
1: Yeah, I did try the Headspace app, um, and while I found it quite useful, I actually didn't use it as much as I had planned to because I turned off the alerts at the start. <laughs> um, I was really worried. <laughs> yeah, I was really worried it was just going to be one more thing in my day that I had an alert for.
2: Yeah, it had the opposite effect for me. I wasn't smart enough to turn off the alerts, and they it's not just once a day, it's multiple times a day. Even when I was in an airplane, I was getting this message coming up saying, meditation is an exercise in listening. And when I woke up at 6am, it was the first thing I would see on my phone, time to make some headspace, you know, and it's just the last thing I felt like doing. So I really, I didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy this exercise at all until I got my little pocketbook of mindfulness. And you've,
1: (laughs) You told me earlier that you actually use these some of these traits and some of these tools in a specific moment recently.
2: Yeah, I did. I was about to present a um a speech at a wedding of a friend, a good friend, and I had that experience where your heart beats really loudly in a you know in a very kind of concerning way um, <laughs> it's
1: thumping against your chest.
2: <laughs> I wasn't that nervous, but I just wanted to make sure it was like the best speech because uh, there were 12 speeches and I have to say I took a couple of seconds at the during the end of the previous speech to just send to myself focus on the the feeling of my stomach going in and out with each intercostal diaphragmatic breath and um then I got up and I was really calm and focused and it was honestly, it was, a, it was a knockout. It
1: was so great. No, I'm, I'm glad that you achieved your goal of having the Hopefully best speech. Hopefully no one from
2: the wedding is listening to this and um,
1: <laughs> counteracts
2: my claims. Um, but I did find Ute's research really refreshing because when I initially couldn't get into it, um, I started feeling really frustrated because we hear so many good things. And so reading her paper made me realize that a lot of it's probably just hype and um, a lot of it's probably just selective. Science.
1: Yeah. So if it doesn't work for you, it's not because there is something wrong with you. It might just not be the right fit. But for some people, like Lotta, mindfulness is life-changing.
0: I mean, I I do say I think mindfulness is the answer to everything, and (laughs) I really believe it. (laughs) It's pretty high praise. (laughs) Yeah. Having an understanding of how my brain works now and how it's naturally inclined to think, 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 and being able to step out of that has really deepened my recovery from you know, alcohol addiction, no doubt about it. It's calmed me right down and it's also helped me with some new addictions that I developed after I stopped drinking, which was namely sugar. Is it something that you would ever
2: encourage your children to get involved in?
0: Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I I really do believe that we are we are taught science and we are taught maths and we are taught English and yet we're not taught how our brains work and we are not taught, uh, you know, how to use them and how to ground ourselves and um, we, well, we're taught how to think but we're not taught how to not think, if you know what I mean and I think if we could be taught from a young age how to break out of those, you know, cycles of ruminating and worrying and and how to ground ourselves in our bodies and in the moment oh it'd be amazing it would have a huge impact and the earlier we can bring it in the better I mean I'm in my mid-40s now you know experiencing this wonderful turnaround and I think gosh if I'd known this earlier
1: As always, we're really keen to hear your thoughts on this issue. Have you tried out mindfulness or meditation before? And did it work really well for you? Or was it not quite the right fit? For more information on this topic, and to learn a bit more about how our Defence Force uses mindfulness, you can go to the SuperFad page on Stuff. Stuff.co.nz SuperFad.
2: You can also join our SuperFad Facebook group, where Laura and I tune in to answer any questions. Every Monday at lunchtime, we'll be doing Facebook Live videos to discuss the previous episode. And you can
1: also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Kenny Katie. And I'm at Walters Laura. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of SuperFad. Tune in next week where we'll be talking about vaping and Katie and I will be taking up vaping for the pod.
2: This episode was made by us. Our technical producer is Alex Liu and our executive producer is John Hart.
0: If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read... Subscribe to The Long
2: Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.